So I pick up the pair of underwear off of the sales table and I look at it and it has a sign, one size fits all. Now, you know, I'm not believing that. So I find the sales lady with one other pair of underwear in my hand. And I'm like, is this the truth? Is this really one size fits all? And she says, yeah, they're trying to find a more simple way and it's working. Most people have been able to try it on. And for the most part, one size is fitting all. I look at the little strap of fabric and I shake my head and I say, hmm, a simpler way. She says, yeah, they've been selling like hotcakes and try it on. See if you like it. It's like, <laughs> okay. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of With Some Smack. Yes, indeed. So join me on the flip as I look at what it means to have a simple way. I've been obsessed with effective, efficient, and easy for most of my adult life because that was my job for most of my adult life. I always was looking for the way that was going to get a person from point A to point B or from objective A to objective Z in the simplest way. It's been said that we love simple things or simple ideas or simple concepts because they help us to do things easily and they only do the things we need and none of the things we don't need. They even talk about simplicity being harmonious. One of my favorite uh, quotes is from Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci, not DiCaprio, y'all. Leonardo da Vinci. And it says that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. You see, I've been seeing something. Now, y'all bear with me. I've been seeing something. And I want to start with Apple. Apple has been on a similar quest as I have. And I've come to a conclusion. And that is that Apple's quest for simplicity is tied into its domination and authority. You see, the simpler you get, the more authority you can hold. That's where I am. And I'm going to try to prove it to you real quick. Okay. So if you look through the evolution of Apple products, you'll notice that Apple is always trying to get you to go smaller and simpler. They started with taking all of your songs that you, uh, well, actually, let's go back before that. So they started with making a personal laptop, a desktop computer. Before then, IBM was the big dog of computing. And I think they even tried to do a personal computer, but it wasn't made for the masses. It was made for people who knew how to uh, do punch cards and the computing language that was needed to run these punch cards and to tell the computer how to compute. And then... Apple comes along and they're like, you know what? We're going to make this easier. We're going to make it simple for people. And so what do they come up with? They come up with their first Macintosh computer. It wasn't named Macintosh and I forget the name of it. Um, Edison? No, it was something. Um, And we're not going to even talk about the Lisa computer. But (laughs) they came up with a personal computer and it was simple. So much so that they had a UI, a user um, interface or UI, 
where you could drag and drop what you wanted to do. So it was run by pictures. They took advantage of the trinity of making things simple that I'm going to talk about in a minute. That was so, it was just profound. And they took over the personal computing world and they they birthed that that um, industry because they proved that you could use a computer and not know how to speak computer language or type it or write it or understand it. So they started with that. Then they move on to the uh, pod, the uh, iPod, where they are like, okay, you love your music and Walkman. Uh, cassette players, radios, and people wanted to have portable music. And they were buying CDs and and, um, cassettes and all of this. And so Steve Jobs says, we're going to make this simple for you. We're going to give you a simple way to take not a thousand songs. It meant that you had to lug this huge CD case around. And yes, yes, I did. I was one of those nut nuts buying the hundred CD slot cases that I could put on so I could have my music with me <laughs> when I would drive. And he came out with the iPod. And he was like, you can put your entire library on it and had the nerve to make it big as a matchbox. I was like, I will lose that, but I sure did get it. So he moved us from all of this complication of trying to take our songs with us on these CDs to being able to put them on an iPod. But that was just another way that they were all about making simple easy and having a simple way. So, of course, you know, they moved from that then they took the phone. And at the time, everybody had flip phones and text was just starting to come out. And Apple says, okay, we got you. So what are we going to do? We're going to make it where not only can you text people and you can call people, but we're going to make it where you can do these applications to go on the internet and do stuff. And we're going to give you a smartphone. And not only did they give you a smartphone, they gave you the pictures that they were known for back from the personal computer where you could, you know, press on something, but they made it where you pressed on the face of the phone and they eliminated all of those buttons at the bottom. So whereas you had these flip phones with these QWERTY boards on them and you had to constantly be typing everything on the face of the phone to get it to do something, Apple was like, we're going to give you one button and we'll let you press the pictures. It was revolutionary that they did this. So they took away all those buttons and gave you one. Well, then they move on and they're like, well, you know what? Let's make the personal computer simpler. They moved that to the iPad and where notebooks were taking off as many computers, but they were just limited. They were like, you know what? We're going to take the best of personal computing and the best of the phones and we're going to give you an iPad. Of course, it took off because they made it simpler. I could go on and on and on. And now they're just to the point where I believe Apple is moving to where after they get us used to one button to push, they're going to make it where it's almost it's past wearable art because now you've got the um, the Apple watches that do a lot and you've got the uh, pods, the ear pods. And I think it's just going to be where 
you get a, like a tattoo or something and you push a button and boom, you're able to do all the stuff that you could with all of these suites of products. But they understand the power of having a simple way. They understand the power of it works in a simple way. Uh, on a, a previous podcast, I talked about my love for uh, John Braddock's uh, spy books and uh, a spy's way to thinking, a spy's uh, way to strategy. And uh, you can uh, see um, that episode where I talked about those books uh, if you haven't already. And he even talked about how his gadgets, and they think that there are a lot of sky a spy gadget that they use in the field. And he says, for you to use a gadget in the field, it has got to be trusted and it has got to work. And you've got to have complete trust that it's going to work or it's better just to do what you know to do. Because he said it has to work in a simple way if you're going to save the day and save your life. And so I uh, was looking at uh, some of my old books, because, you know, from time to time you have to clean up uh, things, make them up to date. And I'm, I'm just blessed that I've been writing long enough to have to do that, you know, because things change from decade to decade. They just do. And so I was doing some cleanup stuff and I was reading uh, some of the passages and I was shaking my head because I was happy on the one hand that my writing continues to improve. But on the other hand, I was looking at how convoluted some of my sentence structures were and all those types of things. And it brought me back down memory road to the point where I went back into uh, my library that's accessible, meaning the books that I have not packed away. And I came up with um, two, actually three, but I'm not going to confuse y'all today. So I'm just going to talk about two books that I came up with. Uh, and I, of course, I'll post the links to them for when I was teaching myself how to write. Now, I, I went with what I knew. And what I knew was corporate America and uh, therapy. And so the first book that I, that I um, got when I was trying to understand literature and, and novels is a great book. And it's, it's still a great book. And I'm going to tell you, if, if you want to be able to make what you say, make what you write, make what you articulate to people simple, and understandable. This is a great book uh, to go through because it's going to help you to understand the hidden language of uh, literature and uh, how how people have been conveying thoughts over the years. So let me just tell you a little bit about this book. This book is by Thomas C. Foster. And like I said, I got two of them, but I'm not going to overwhelm you. I'm just going to talk to you about the one that you'll probably get the most out of. And it's called How to Read Literature Like a Professor by Thomas C. Foster. And this is the big aha that I want to talk about in this book uh, that uh, you can you can uh, see. And this is what I have been using, the process that I've been using for years now to uh, create my worlds, to articulate through my readers. And even when I'm teaching and, and, and stuff, the fact that I'm using story 
to talk to you. And when I teach people is because of what I've learned in this book and another book that I'm going to talk about quickly today on how to make things simple and how to operate in a simpler way. Now, let me just say this. Simple does not always mean getting down to one button. Simple does not always mean one size fits all. A lot of times it will come to that, but it doesn't have to. So I don't want you to think that simple equates less. No, simple simply means that it's easy and that it does only usually what you need it to do and it doesn't muddle it up with all the unnecessary that you don't need, okay? So this book, and I'm holding it in my hand and I actually, y'all, I love this book so much that I have it. I have it in different formats. I sure do. Um, But I'm holding the so you can hear. I'm holding the physical version of it. And this one is called How to Read Literature Like a Professor. And it was eye-opening for me. It was like water uh, in a a desert. Okay, so this is the big part that I want to talk to you about. So what Professor Foster talks about is that if you want to be able, now he does not talk about this making things simple. He says that professors read literature this way and novices don't. But I'm going to say that if you can take these three things and figure out what they are for whatever you're wanting to talk about, convey, or understand, you're going to figure out a simple way. I'm uh, actually uh, go, um, uh, do, about to do a training where I teach people how to figure out what they have uh, as their expertise, as their sage wisdom. And I'm going to be teaching them how to find the simplest way to convey them. And I'm actually going to be using this and a few other things to drill down to it. And I've used it over the years with myself and others, and it works. So I'm going to give it to you. So listen up, people. Listen, listen, Linda, listen. Okay. So he talks about memory, symbol, and pattern. He says, these are the three items that if you learn them and learn how to use them and you practice them, you'll basically be able to make everything simple and understandable to yourself and to others. So let me just talk really quickly about each one of them and we'll move on. So with memory, now memory, memory goes with How do you take what you've already experienced and find a corollary or some type of correspondence where you can compare what is new? This database called a brain. And whenever you come in contact with something new, whether it's something real, something imagined, or something you want to solve, one of the best ways to figure that out is to go in your memory and figure out what you can correlate to that. And you know what that's code word for? That's code word for correspondence or uh, simile. Simile is when you use words like kind of, sort of, like, or um, seems. So when you want to, you know, use a simile, you know, instead of saying, well, it's this, you say it's like this, it's kind of like, it's sort of like. And those are keywords that are letting you know that you're tapping into your memory to correlate what you already know with what you don't know. When I was learning uh, concepts in uh, college and grad school, I was having a hard time until I realized that there is something that I've encountered that I know 
that helps me to make the leap from what I know to what I don't know. I did a podcast um, about problems, puzzles, and mysteries, and I talked about how to approach problems and how we solve mysteries and how there's an open loop. And part of that is that we have a memory mechanism. There is a reason why you have memories and there's a reason why you remember things the way you do as opposed to the way somebody else does. And that is because when you are interacting with new things, it's easier for you to recall what you what you have a memory over so that it will make it easier for your, your subconscious and your your learning mind to accept the new stuff. So memory. Now, I will say this part. You need, and I almost I almost did it just on memory uh, with a database. Now, there's another book that I've, I've talked about that uh, I think every person should get as well. There's a lot of foundational books. And one of these days I'm going to make a master list, but it's called Curious by Ian Fleming. I wasn't going to bring it up because I was like, I don't want to give him too many books, but that was the other one I was talking about. And he talks about how the larger your repository or your database of what you know, the faster, the better, and the uh, more capable you are of uh, matriculating and uh, doing successfully in in the world. Now, this is not about just academics. It's not about just learning. It can it can uh, include learning, but it's learning experience and what you remember. And I can even talk about the whole word remember, but we're going to move on. Okay, so the first part of what Dr. Uh, excuse me, uh, Professor Foster talks about and how to read literature like a professor is he was like, you need to engage your memory. What corresponds or correlates to what you're seeing here? What And now he's talking about books, but this is real life stuff. What do you know that seems like it's kind of like uh, is um, uh, uh, in the same ballpark of tribe, cousin, whatever you want to call it, that would help you to compare what you're encountering? Using that, that's going to make it easier for you to strip away all the crap you don't need to the to the part you do need. Um, for instance, Pythagorean theorem. When I was a little kid, I was blessed to have this guy come in and talk to our school. And he was uh, an African uh, uh, griot. And he told us the story of the happy family. And he was like, uh, when you need to remember what the Pythagorean theorem is, and see, to this day, I can recall it because he told it to a story and he made it a memory. He's like, so he says, the X axis is your mom. The Y axis is your dad. He's like, the line that goes from the tip top of your dad's line to the tip to the end of your mom's line are the children. And he said, and those children are always going to be your your mom and your dad together. And so he said, and that's where you come up with A plus B equals C squared. And boom, we got it because he helped us to uh, correlate a memory of we know what a family is to this mathematical concept. And he also couched it into a story or a parable. So there is that too. All right. So the next part, with that being said, the next part that Dr. F F um, Professor, excuse me, Professor Foster talks about is symbol. Now, where memory is uh, simile, like when you say sort of and you correlate together, symbols are metaphors, uh, analogies, and anything of significance that will trigger an immediacy 
So instead of it's sort of, or it's like the metaphor is boom, this is the representative of it. This is it. This equals that. So when you think of a stop sign, a stop sign is to stop. A stop sign is not like, hey, you kind of want to sort of stop here. No, it is a hard stop. That stop sign means stop. And so when you look at something, you want to look and see if there are any symbols that are existing in that thing or that you can put on that thing. Now, this goes back to how we learn. We learn in pictures. Remember the story about Apple? Apple did the drag and drop windows. They didn't use words. They used windows and pictures. Uh, and I say windows, but I'm, I'm talking about pictures, pictures of uh Presentations because they were using symbol to bypass you having to process words, turn them into uh, pictures in your mind. So they just was like, look, we'll do that. When they moved to the iPhone, they did pictures, the little app boxes, so that you at a glance wouldn't have to read anything, but you knew this picture meant this. So that's where we get the symbols from. Now, this is the part that helped me the most because at the time I was fresh off of understanding um, this concept from both my uh, corporate world as well as how I would deal with people in my therapy world. And that was patterns. So we had where he's teaching you the three things that you need are memory, symbol, and pattern. And with patterns, I already knew this, but it was good to see how he was using it in uh, literature. And so patterns, those are routines or archetypes or habits that always run in the background. And to be able to see a pattern, you need to look past the low-hanging fruit and the obvious. You need to look for the hum, the tone, the mood. You need to look for what's the linchpin, what's keeping everything going. And now this is why I wanted to really bring this part up is because he gave a really good way to start looking for patterns because that I will admit that has been one of the things that I kind of stumbled over when I was trying to teach people how to see patterns like I see them. And he did this. He used the if then statement, if this, then that. So if this is happening and this is happening, then check this out. And if that you have a pattern and um, having uh, some distance between what's going on and what's going underneath lets you know that that's probably a pattern because patterns like to hide. They like to be invisible, but they like to run things. And so making things simple, what I learned from this book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor, when he was trying to teach people how to see the patterns, the symbols, and the, uh, use your memory with literature to make what they're saying easy to remember I learned that this is a blueprint for how to make things simple, okay? So then the next book that I want to talk about, I got it a long time ago, and um, I just checked, and you can still get the paperback on uh, Amazon. I'll put the link there. And for some reason, I have the uh, Kindle version as well, but I don't see it on there right now. Maybe that's a fluke, but I'll, I'll go on and put the link that I can find on there. And it's called Metaphorically Speaking. Now, of course, they do the normal, oh, you know, learn how to persuade people and all this kind of stuff. But what I found was this Metaphorically Speaking, she has this four-step way to make 
a metaphor. And I like that because I was able to use that when I teach people to get them to uh, symbolize stuff, to make it a memoriam so that they had their personal metaphors. And I'll just tell it to you real quick. So the four four steps that she takes to making a, a metaphor that will actually work is that you want to de- you want to determine what's the blind spot what's keeping that person from making the leap the jump or whatever it is maybe they don't have anything in their database maybe they don't have a memory to attach to make it easy but you can still use a symbol you can still use an analogy you can still make something of significance so find out what their bl- uh, their blind spot is and then the second thing is she calls it snapshotting but what it simply means is is learning what you can about the person or the the uh, people, the group that helps you to be able to speak their language and use things that are relevant to them. In today's world, we would call it contextual. So to snapshot them is to find something that's in context. And context means getting it close enough to where they go, ah, I see. So now you're building something that makes sense to them because it's close to how they think about the world, uh, the angle that they would take, the words they would use, the, the visuals that they would respond to. So that's number two. And number three is then you want to create a comparison. So most people think of the metaphor as the comparison, but it's just part of it. A metaphor doesn't work if, number one, you're not helping them to overcome their blind spot that's preventing them from getting the metaphor. And if you're not using contextual information, words, symbols, I mean, well, pictures or whatever, that will make them have that aha moment. So she says, once you've done determining their blind spot and creating that snapshot or or that context, then you want to create the comparison. And the comparison is not a simile. It's not a, well, it's sort of, it's kind of, no. Because there is a, a journey from the sort of kind of to what it is. You want to create a comparison of something that they can supplant for it. Remember, uh, symbols are the analogy. They are the significance. So you want to stamp something on it. Think of it this way. Whenever I think think about comparisons, I think about emojis and how certain pictures can become the symbol for something else. And immediately there is no like, there is no sort of kind of, it is what it is. And then she says to relate it back to the situation. Now, I pulled this book out uh, after I was reading one of my favorite fiction authors, Brandon Sanderson's um, uh, book series that he has about uh, the superheroes. And he was uh, the main character of this particular series was bad with metaphors. And he was making all these funny jokes about how bad he was with metaphors. And I mean, I was getting them. I was like, yeah, they're pretty bad. But uh, nosy me was like, okay, so why would they be so bad? And when I went back and, and went, and and pull this book back out, I realized that they were doing the stuff that uh, Ann Miller says on Metaphorically Selling, this is the name of the book that I'm talking about, uh, but they were missing in that they weren't clearly hitting the blind spot and they weren't clearly referring back to the situation that the character was having. And so he would keep going off on these tangents of trying to make the metaphor work. And it was because it was lacking. Yeah. He had a comparison. Yeah. He had a, uh, it was even sometimes contextual, 
but it it wasn't apropos for the particular situation and it usually did not fix the gap or the blind spot of the situation and thus the person he would be you know using the metaphor would, would look at him like huh you know so there was that so this book is great too um the wisdom smack for a simpler way for me is something that I, like I said, I, I watched and I've mentioned this show before. It comes on HBO, but I saw this segment on uh, YouTube because I don't have HBO. But John Oliver was talking about automation. And he was talking about uh, if you don't want your job to be automated away, that there are certain um, fundamental uh, skill sets that you need to have. And it, when I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is uh, important. And so this is what he said in his automation show, okay? He said that for the skills for the future, you're going to need to have, and I quote, a series, you're going to be able to have, need to know a series of non-routine tasks or be able to do a series of non-routine tasks that require social intelligence, complex critical thinking, and creative problem solving. Now, that is code for you need to be able to take important crap, complex crap, and you need to be able to articulate it in a simple way. And how did I come up with that? Because the first thing he says is, It requires social intelligence. Social intelligence means that you know how to read your environment, your society, your room, your tribe, and you know how to be intelligent enough to speak on terms that they get it. That means that you need to be able to break things down. The next part of the equation that he said that you would need to have if you're going to do well and not have your stuff taken by a robot is that you need to have complex critical thinking. Now, complex critical thinking goes back to that how to read literature like a professor. If you approach something and you go into your database, which is your memory, and then you figure out the symbols that whatever it is you're interacting with relates to, and then you figure out um, how to properly uh, look at the, uh, the totality of it when you're especially now let me let me let me slow down. Especially when you're when you're trying to convey this to somebody, and you look at the totality of everything to develop or understand the pattern, then you're going to be able to do a lot. And then the last part of that, uh, where John is talking, and he's like, okay, so he's like, you know, if you want to automate, then you you need to have need to be able to do these things, right? He says, creative problem solving. There you go. You have to find a way to make this stuff simple, not only to yourself, but to others. And so that is how you find a simpler way to do something, to say something, to be about something. So guess what? Yeah, my time is up. This is Michelle Spiva. And I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. Now, Go on, like, subscribe, comment, share, and support. I really want to thank you all for supporting us. Use our link, michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ when you go to Amazon, and I'll see you tomorrow. (music) 
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.